Open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 3, the book of Acts chapter number 3. As we're preaching through the book of Acts, I hope we've been able to explain some things. I've gotten several phone calls from people who said, you know, I didn't understand this and now I do and I thank you for doing that. Most of those were, were, were radio calls that, that came in. And um, so I want to do that all the way through the book of Acts because I want you to see Acts is the beginning. In the Old Testament, what do we start with? Genesis, the book of beginnings. That's what that means. And so you, you couldn't start with Exodus because we'd lose all the, the beginning. So you have to have the beginning. And so the beginning of the church... The beginning of the church was here. Not the beginning of Jesus. He's always been. And he always will be. It wasn't the beginning of some organization. It was a, it was a living, alive church that got birth just like you got born again. That church got birthed on the day of Pentecost. So we've been talking about that. And today in chapter 3, look at Peter and John went together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, ask an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look on us and gave heed with them, expecting to receive something of them. There's still people come to church like that. Only interest they have in church is what they can get out of it. Have no interest in putting anything into it, but they want you to give them just what they need out of it, and then they go their way and don't worry about what it takes to make sure they get what they get. And this guy, he's a beggar. He's desperate. It's different than some of our high-class begging, but notice what he does. Peter, and Peter said, silver and gold have none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked. And he, I said, he leaping up, leaping up stood. Now he'd never leaped in his life. How did he even know how to do that unless God told him? A natural response. God not only fixed everything up for him, he fixed all the, all the wiring procedure up to his brain. He fixed that too. And the scripture said, he entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. <laughs> and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened unto him. And I want to talk to you today on this subject, a lame man leaping. A lame man leaping. And that ought to be the easiest title that anybody could ever come up with when you read that text, right? If you 
where get your get your get healing to where you'd never walked in your life, I would expect you to be running laps around this auditorium this morning. And we ought to be clapping for you. And some of us uh, that's getting a little overweight, we ought to join you running around and around here in this place. But folks, listen, he, he was so excited, so thrilled, something that the Temple Mount I didn't see much of. And so I want you to look, first of all, at the man. In verse number one, Peter and John went together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb. Now, in verse number one, we notice that God uses the word there, but I'm glad he can use on these two people. Look who he's talking about, Peter and John. Does that ring a bell with you? Peter and John. Peter and John, not too far behind this, had kind of gotten into it a little bit. Had a little run in. But now God said, they're filled with the Spirit of God and they're brethren and they're going up together. You see, to get up to the Temple Mount, there was a bunch of stairs. They didn't have elevators then. Stairs, this was... In the front, this was the eastern gate, the beautiful gate, and there was a stairway, a tunnel, uh, and it went up and come out in, on top of the Temple Mount. And so there was porticos all around, the, all around the Temple Mount, and that's where people would gather and teach and sit, and, and, and then only even on the southern steps where they'd go in and out, most of the city of, of the old city of David, and, and, and it was just a, it was a beehive of activity all the time up there. And so the thing that blesses me is that these two brethren, arm in arm together, go up to pray in the house of God. But only days before, they were jealous of each other, resenting each other. John 21, you remember? Peter said, oh, you told John what he's going to do. What about me? Jealous. Jealous. Are you jealous anybody? Get rid of it today. It'll eat your lunch. It'll eat you up. Jealousy. Some people accused me of it, being jealous. I'm 64 years old. See, I don't expect to be jealous of anybody. I'm jealous of one person that's been on the face of this earth other than Jesus Christ, and that is Adrian Rogers. He died at 72, and I'm jealous that I don't have his voice. I got this hick mess. He had this dignity. He could tell you, go, go, you're going to hell, and it sounded good. I can tell you, going to hell sounds bad. I, I, that's the only person that I've ever coveted anything is to have that marvelous voice that he had. And so just before this, Peter was jealous of John, and no doubt John was a little jealous of Peter, and so now... Isn't it refreshing to see them arm in arm going to the temple? Uh, probably, it's probably some folks sitting over here and over here and over there and up there and up there and up there. Today, we ought to get up, go to somebody, and walk down to this altar. Now, I don't mean you have to do the bridal thing where you put your arm here and arm there. When I say arm, I mean they walk together. 
and walk together. Are y'all seeing this? Now, and if you want that verse, it's John 21, verses 18 through 23. But they're together. And Peter and John, they were the most opposite guys you could ever think. I mean, they, they, by nature, they would get on each other's nerves. But now they were together. Some people don't expect to see together out of these two men because they just wasn't alike. They was totally different. And so they're not expecting to see them together. You say, well, what had happened in their life that they were jealous one minute and now they're walking up to the temple to worship and pray and love on Jesus for uh, uh, just a few days after what made the difference in their life? Pentecost had filled them with one spirit and put them in one accord. You don't have to work at the same place. You don't have to wear the same hairstyle like some of us got. I think flat tops are Holy Ghost, but Brother Mike, I thought this might help you. This guy of the day, he was taking alum and persimmon juice and, and putting it on his head. The guy said, why are you doing that? He said, do you really think that stuff will grow hair? He said, no, but it'll shrink your face to fit what hair you got. So, <laughs> I love you bald guys, and I'm getting there. Mine keeps moving back, so hang in there. We'll all be there together. So, when you see them that once was uh, what we would call spiritual rivals, it's not like they hated each other, but they were spiritual rivals. They were clamoring for leadership. You know, I believe that is one of the, uh, besides Baptist business meetings, clamoring for leadership is the second worst problem that churches have clamoring for that position. I want that. If I don't get it, I'm going to pout. I'll speak or I'm going to leave. I'm going to do something because I'm mad because I didn't get that job. I'll tell you what, you do it a while, you may be glad you didn't. But I want to read you a verse. I read it at a funeral the other day. Never used this verse at the funeral before, but I want you to turn your Bible book of Proverbs and I want you to underline this verse in your Bible. I mean Psalms, I'm sorry, Psalms 133. Psalms 133. Psalm 133, this is what it said. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren. Now what are they called over there? Brethren, right? To dwell together in unity. In other words, when the church is unified, it's good and it's pleasant. Don't it feel good when there's unification? And I know when it is and when it's not. You do too. Look at number two. It's like the precious ointment upon the beard that ran down upon the head, even Aaron heard that went down to the skirts of his garment. You see, he's talking about fellowship in verse number one, but he's talking about fragrance in verse number two because on the day of Pentecost, where how did they get, they got not partially filled, not half filled, not three quarters filled, but all the way filled. And as a result of that, they sent out a sweet savor. Unity does that. Unity sends out 
a message that you don't even have to speak. It has that anointing about it. Look at number three. As the dew of Hermon, that's Mount Hermon, and there's snow up there, and that's where most a lot of their water comes from, Sea of Galilee there, from there. And so there's snow there. He says, the dew of Hermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. In other words, if God could ever find a group of people who could get together, he'd bless them beyond recognition. We wouldn't know this church if we could get together. And no other church would know themselves if they were to get together. But here's what happens. You know who gets together? Not God's people, but those who want to stir something up or mess something up. That's who gets together. We learn how to do that. Have you noticed that in politics too? I mean, they can call somebody everything from, uh, you know, we're deplorables to uh, unredeemables. And, and then the next thing you know, they're coming back. I want you to vote for that man right there. I just, that's just the way pe- people are. They'll tend to go with the enemy if the enemy is against what's right. Help me. But if we could just ever get God's people right with each other. No, it's just, just it's, it's unbelievable what God could do. So I believe the filling of the Holy Ghost will solve any problem in the church. That's all right, clap, because that's true. The filling of the Holy Spirit will solve any problem in the church. It has unifying power about it. Because the love of God has moved in you now. And the Spirit of God has moved in you now. And God lives in you now. That'll solve any problems. Somebody said, I think we ought to vote on everything. Why? The Holy Ghost don't vote yes or no on anything. So if you vote no, somebody else votes yes, somebody's wrong or or two people's wrong because God's not. So when you get people filled with the Spirit of God, here's what happens. When they were jealous over here, in just a few days they're not jealous anymore because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody ought to say amen. I love that. I, I just was studying that and I just thought, God, you know, to see Simon Peter come from jealousy. He don't look like the kind of guy that would come out easy. He, he looks like the kind of guy that hold a grudge, you know? And to see them together, it's a blessing here. Now, uh, I want you to notice the second thing in verse number two, we see the beggar. We see the brethren in verse number one, but we see the beggar in verse number two. The brethren men and now the beggar man. Notice, here was a man that for 40 years had been a cripple. He said, how do you know that? Acts chapter 4, verse 22 tells us. Now, the Bible said that he was crippled from his mother's womb. This young man, or this 40-year-old guy, had never took a step in his life. He crawled everywhere he went, or pushed himself along with the stick, or 
drug himself, but he never took a step. He never walked any in his life for 40 years. 40 years. He's sitting there wanting something, needing something, but nobody has anything for him. 40 years. That's that man. He couldn't play or run with the children when he was growing up. As a man, he couldn't work like everybody else. He was a burden to somebody every day to take him and set him at that beautiful gate. He must basically beg. If you ask him what his vocation was, it was a beggar. He had never been into the temple because they wouldn't allow maimed people to come into the temple. He had been on the temple mount or in the temple steps, but not on the temple. He had only listened as he could hear the beautiful singing and the sweet fragrances that came off of that temple mount. And he must have wondered so much what it was like. And, and so he, he, he'd never been there, but he wanted to go. And he was sitting at the beautiful gate. Now that's the eastern gate. That's the eastern gate. And now, there's two gates on uh, during, well, it's not today because the gate, the walls today were built by the Turks in 1300 and something. So you can't, what you see today is not the walls that was around Jerusalem in Herod's day. But there was a sheep gate, of course, up in a little nook and, and then there was this eastern gate and that's where people would like come to worship because it was made out of brass and it shined like money. It was 12 foot tall so you could get a horse through it if you needed to. It was a beautiful sight to behold. And he thought, well, surely people coming through this gate will have some money and they'll help a guy like me. And so he sent me to the beautiful gate. And so the whole temple had become one of the wonders of the world, really. I mean, people would come from all over just to see the temple because Herod was such a tremendous builder and it was such a beautiful place. It was just so beautiful to behold. And he was there because he expected generosity in the hearts of those who came. No doubt he had been unnoticed by most of the people coming and going because he'd been there every day or at least been somewhere every day begging for his food. And so these are the men, the brethren and the beggar. It sounds so far apart. It sounds like two guys riding off the ramp of an interstate and another guy standing saying, we'll work for 10 minutes. That's what it's like. So these are the brethren and the beggar. They're unmatched. They're un. They're not like at all. Let's look at the second thing. In verses three through six, we see the mission. We saw the men here in this story. There's three of them we find. And now we see the mission, verses three through six. We find out just what brethren should be doing for beggars. Can I tell you that God never meant for the church to be the welfare department? 
Now, if that's why you think what church, that's what you think church is, and I, Brother Mike, agree with me, I would guarantee you that 50% of the people who we say, I'm sorry, we're not going to give you any money because we give them money, and they go buy go buy meth and crack and, 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 and cocaine and everything else, and 50% of them will say, well, I thought that's what the church was here for. Am I right? Boy, I wonder what y'all would be like if every one of you were to get high at the same time. <laughs> It'd be different, wouldn't it? But folks, I'm going to tell you in verse 3 through 4, he asked an offering, verse 4, Peter said, look on us. Well, when he said that, he thought he's going to give me something. And Peter and John was taking on the task of this man's need, uh, the, the responsibility of helping this man's need. So they felt they had a solution for his plot. It wasn't money because they didn't have any. Because they knew this man is a representative of the whole human race. Are y'all seeing this? So if they could start their ministry off here by taking a physical cripple and saying that they could do that spiritually for them if they would trust Jesus, it would make a tremendous impact. So look what it has. Look at the picture of the sinner here. A spiritual cripple, sick, blind beggars, dying, can't see, broke. That's what we were spiritually before we got saved. Now look. He was a sinner from birth. So were you. So was I. He was born that way. Secondly, he was helpless to save himself, right? Thirdly, he, that must have been a dreary and weary life. No friends, no conversations, nothing. He just sat there waiting for the end. Waiting to die. He was dependent. And folks, this is where we get real trouble. He was dependent on the world. That makes you a beggar. You see, somebody says, what kind of Baptist are y'all? Well, I said, we're identified as Southern Baptists, but we don't like a whole lot of stuff's going on. But truth of the matter is that we're dependent Baptists. I never heard of dependent Baptists. Well, dependent Baptists is people who depend on God to meet their needs. So when somebody asks you what kind of Baptist you are, you say we're dependent Baptists. We depend upon God to meet our needs. We align ourselves with a denomination, but we believe the Bible. And anything in our denomination that contradicts the Bible, the Bible trumps. Thank y'all for helping me out here. In verse number five, uh, this man looked up, expecting to receive something. I mean, you know, most Baptist preachers are good for a handout. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, if I run into somebody, I, you know, and God puts it on my heart, this, this is how I give my offerings, not my tithe. I give my tithe to Hillcrest Baptist Church. Nobody's getting it, but Hillcrest Baptist Church. 
if I thought anybody else would get it, it would, I, I, I would hold it until we got it settled. But my tithe goes to Hillcrest. And you don't ever have to worry about the finances in this church because we have about three or four steps of accountability and there's absolutely no way that you could get very much money out of Hillcrest Baptist Church. So I give my tithe. Well, actually, my wife puts a check in in her Sunday school class, I think. But we tithe every week to, to Hillcrest Baptist Church. We're going to continue to tithe every week to Hillcrest Baptist Church as long as we're here. But here, the Bible talks about not just tithe, it talks about offerings. You know how I give my offerings? Sometimes nobody knows it. Sometimes I tell folks, sometimes I don't. But when God just says to me, you know, go over there and give that person something. Or go give that person something. And I carry cash, a little bit of cash with me all the time. So don't try to rob me because I also carry something else. But, and that ain't joking. <laughs> so I feel real good about giving that way. Because I don't have to have it noted anywhere. I don't have to tell anybody. I don't have to brag about it. Nobody has to brag on me about it. I don't want my plaque on the end of a pew. Listen, folks, I, and you may have fat, fat, you know, friends and family that does this, and I guess they mean well. I don't know what in the world they do, but why in the world would you want to put your name on a pew and then get mad and quit the church about six years later, and there your name is on a pew? What are we going to do, leave that pew open the rest of our life? Take your little plate off with you and take it with you if you're going to go. We, don't, we made our mind and we built this building and it was not going to have anything in here like that. We were not here to honor man. We were here to exalt Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And so a Baptist preacher is usually good for a little handout, but they was broke as Job's turkey. Whatever that means, my daddy used to say it, so I guess it's okay. A, a begging world. We live in a begging world. Are y'all hearing me? Our world's begging. They're begging. They're begging, expecting the world to meet their needs, which is impossible. They're begging. Everybody's begging the government to meet their needs. That's impossible. They're begging. Begging all over the world. These college kids and these protesters come out, so many of them are hired, but they, they don't have a clue what they're even protesting. They couldn't, they couldn't sit down and write you three lines about what they were protesting. They don't know. They don't know the history of this church, history of this country. They don't know anything about it at all. All they want to do is destroy something. You know why? Because they're begging for something. We're begging. And so the Peter said something he didn't expect. Everyone go, have a none. The best thing we can do for people is not give them silver and gold. The best thing we can do for people is to give them Jesus. 
Peter had no money, but he had something money couldn't buy. Amen? And so a treasure no one could afford, but anyone could have. He had Jesus. He had Jesus. The best advice we can give to a crumbling home, to a ruined life, to a troubled heart, to a financial worry, to a tragedy that's just happened, to a grief-stricken home, to sorrow, the greatest thing we can offer you is Jesus. It's the only thing we can offer you that will go deeper and can comfort you like nothing else, no one else can. And then this is what he says, such as I have. Listen, such as I have. I give unto you. Mm. Give them a meal. A few minutes, it's gone. Give them some money. A little while, they done bought enough cocaine, it's gone. Give them a handout any way you want to, and it's temporal. They just throw it down a black hole. But when you give them a hand up, you see, God don't want us to give them just a hand. He wants to give them a hand up. That's our business. So you may not have much, but you have one thing. You have this knowledge in your mind that the first priority of the church, listen to me, the first priority of the church is spiritual, not social. not for basketball games and parties and, and, and all those kinds of things and showers and, 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 and all that. Listen, all that goes on here, but that is not, has nothing to do. In fact, in most time we want to try to remove anything that looks like God. And he said, I did one not long ago for Shelby and it blessed my heart. She said, I want it to look just like our church. That's good, isn't it? Well, I mean, she's not just Shelby. She had her husband here with her, you know. I'm a, she didn't just get married to nobody, you know. But, but And, and, and they, they, they're living for God, and I thank God for that. But the best thing we can give people is a hand up, and that's Jesus. Because when Jesus gets in them, he takes them up to the heavens, the Bible says. We never, ever have to feel guilty about not being the community welfare department. We give, we're, we're the largest giving church to the help center. We give them more than any church here, I think. If not, we're going to. I'm going to find out what the top church is, and we're going to give more. <laughs> not to beat them, but because I want them to know the Hillcrest Baptist Church cares for people just as much as anyone else and more because that's a witness. Those folks who get that money don't know where it comes from. They don't know who gave it. When somebody's lights are turned off and maybe a widow lady and she has no way to take care of it and her lights just turned off and 
It's paid by the help center, and she has no idea who gave that money. Emmanuel gives money there. We give money there. The Presbyterians give money there. Other people, individuals give money there. Listen, folks, I believe in helping people, but I believe we ought to help them way up, not just a little up. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. All right, look at the third thing is a miracle, verse 7. i got to hurry. For days now he had heard people coming and going, talking about Jesus as they come in and out that door. They talked about the cross and talked about him being raised from the dead. He'd heard them talk about this new group of followers that they had going on called uh, these disciples uh, of Jesus. And, and then he'd heard about this phenomenon of, on the day of Pentecost and those fiery heads uh, in the streets and those people that began to speak in languages they, that they'd never spoke in and they understood them in language that, uh, they understood the language they were speaking from somewhere else, 18 different dialects. They all could understand each other. He'd been hearing about all that. So it immediately occurred what happened, a physical healing. That was a body that was salvaged. But it was a spiritual healing because that was a soul that was saved. That's all Peter wanted to talk about. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. All he wanted to talk about was that man getting healed. Well, I think I'd probably get hung up on that too, don't you? I mean, that's even better than grandkids, Brother Mike. Listen, I'm telling you. You get, it's a man, we, 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 we. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is alive. He said, how do you know? Because we walked in filled with the Spirit of God and there was a man there. He was a poet, never had walked in his whole life. He was a mess and he laid there and we don't have any money to give him. But such as we have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that man, God gave him new legs and new feet and new muscles and new tendons and new nerves. And he didn't just walk, he jumped. I got steel knees, I can't get up too high. So, Peter get to preaching, he'd throw that in there. I think I would too. Because it was done in Jesus' name. It was a marvel. It was a marvel. Now look at the fourth thing, the marvel of it, verse 8 through 11. This man was trying out his new legs. <laughs> he just couldn't stop running and leaping and jumping. I'm sure somebody said, that's not dignified in the house of God. A man ought not to do that. Well, I guarantee you if you hadn't walked in 40 years and all of a sudden God gave you strength in your legs so that you not only could walk, but you could run and you could jump and you could now go to work and you could now do what everybody else did. You'd do a little running too. So I guess they thought, I don't know where he ran. That's 25 acres up there, I think. Up and down them stairs. And then all around the building, he was just excited that Jesus had changed him. But not only was he excited, these people marveled because they knew he hadn't walked in 40 years. 
They knew mama had birthed him. And mama, when she birthed him, knew he couldn't walk. And they had to help him all of his life. They knew. Everybody seen him sitting there. They knew. And now all of a, they not only just see him, they see him running and jumping and dancing. And when they did, it absolutely marveled them. Are y'all with me? And so let's look at the message he preached, and I'm done. Verses 11 through 16, he begins to give the message to them. And you know the message, so I don't have to give it greatly to you, but I'll kind of show you how he went about giving this message in Acts chapter 3, verse number 11. Look what he says. He starts to preach. Seems to me like Peter would just preach at the drop of a hat. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch. Now that drew a crowd. You know what? Them people you work with, I wonder if you've done anything, anything that would make them want to run for Jesus. So he said, when Peter saw it, he answered, you men of Israel, why marvel at this? And why look you earnestly on this? If by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And then again in verse number 19, repent ye therefore, be converted, that your sins might be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And then again in verse 26, unto you first God raised up his son Jesus and sent him to bless you and turn away everyone from his iniquities. Here's what he preached. Everything he preached in that sermon was so they could get rid of that sin and get a clean heart. That's what he preached. And he preached to them that it was their fault because Jesus was crucified. It's yours too. Mine. I used to preach on that and people would cry. I'd go to revivals. One night, even this week, we had a night where people in their 60s, 70s, 80s were on their knees weeping, crying over their grandchildren and their children. Didn't know Jesus. So the message for you is that you hear what Peter said. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. You can walk out of here a different way than you came in if you'll let Jesus come into your heart. But every time Peter talked about it, he said, you've got to turn. You, I've been saying this for a long time. 
if you do not in your heart want to repent, you can get baptized till you look like a tadpole. And you won't be saved. You can come down south, think I'm just confused, and you can do it a hundred times. But you know what the real problem is? You never wanted to repent. You want to live the way you want to live. You want to do what you want to do. And you wasn't going to turn. If somebody would just break loose and flat out repent this morning, we might see somebody jump and run. Jump and run. In the house of God. I don't, don't jump unless when your feet hit the ground, they're going to walk for Jesus. Y'all with me? So they go up to pray. No doubt they're all praying about different things. But this man's life, I believe, was tremendously changed. Look at the blessings that God, well, they tried to blame the crucifixion on and that, and it was. It's our fault. We did it. We crucified. We killed the prince of life. And then in verse 16, you see where the cripple had faith. His name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. He now, he believed everything they said. That's why he got saved. And so that was his, that was his belief. But then I want you to notice the blessings. Verse 19, he got refreshed. Now this probably refers to the kingdom. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I got a little refreshed. I didn't need that old nasty chewing gum that they advertise on television to give you that big smile, you know. I didn't need that mess. All Jesus can do is refresh you, and that's like just blow a breath of fresh air across you on a hot day. Lame man leaping. He's holding out a hand to you. Up here. Here, you're messed up inside, messed up in your life. You know it. He's holding out his hand, saying, you don't need more silver and gold, but you need more Jesus. Maybe you are saved, but you're not living for Jesus, and you come and repent and ask God to forget. You see, repentance is not just done one time. When it's done, we repent our whole life. Always confessing our sin. And confession means we agree with God about it and are willing to turn from it. And so you need to repent of your sin, start walking with God. 